Hello and welcome to Company of Two with me, Laura Oldfield, and my friend, colleague and fellow Company of One, Claire Venus. In this show, Claire and I discuss what it's really like to be a mother running their own Company of One, which, let's be honest, can be a juggle. In discussing stories with depth, behind-the-scenes snippets and honest shares of our feelings around being, balance and business in motherhood, we hope to share the truth about the joys and struggles of modern-day life as a heart-led small business owner. We'll also be hearing from you, the listener, sharing your questions and experiences about this wild ride that is entrepreneurship. We're creating an honest community of humans supporting each other. This is no Instagram highlights reel. Instead, it's time to delve deep into what it's really like when a company of one becomes a company of two. Welcome back to another episode of Company of Two with me, Claire Venus, and with Laura Oldfield. Today, we would like to revisit, we're going back in time, guys, <laughs> hold on, we are going to revisit when we first became mothers. So we want to talk about oof, that time when we transitioned from being pregnant people to holding a baby in our arms and what happened next. So that's where we're going. For me, it was nearly nine years ago and I think for Laura it's really similar isn't it very similar so I'll jump in I'll try I'm going to find this really emotional Laura because I can't believe I've got a nine-year-old what so at that time I was freelance so I was a creative freelancer and I was working for three different projects so I always worked for projects I always had these freelance contracts that were time limited funding would run out I would get a different contract so one of the freelance contracts that I was running I was managing a children and young people's festival and it was a huge amount of work it was a huge amount of mental space it was the first time in my career that I'd done anything that big and I had these other two quieter contracts that one was around mentoring and another one was for a writing agency, actually, that was it was really interesting to be co- it was covering somebody's maternity leave there. So at that time, I was juggling probably like three full time jobs, but in part time hours, I think this is this is very telling of the way you end up working as a creative freelancer. So because I can work quite productively and quite quickly, I was able yeah. to take those roles on and do that work and weave it all together in this kind of working week that, yes, It was Monday to Friday, but it was probably a little bit more than that, if I'm honest. And at the time, I was finding that I was quite feeling quite anxious and stressed. Obviously, being pregnant is a new experience for a woman. So there was the hormonal shifts and all that sort of thing. And I also, in that pregnancy, had group strep B. So it came back Mm -hmm. at about, I think, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, something like that. And that felt like the first time in my life that I'd been like poorly, even though they don't see it as you being sick. It was like, oh, no, wait, there's like an imbalance here, like something's Mm. going on. My husband is a personal trainer, a coach, a yoga teacher, and he's massively into well-being, like he's so geeky about it. So he was like, let's have a look at your diet. Let's go. We'll see a naturopath. Like we'll do all those things. 
So we did some of that. And I was on this kind of train of trying to shift that diagnosis. Um, when you have group step B in pregnancy, you are online for a certain type of birth. Like it's like this is the medicalized birth that you have to have as a birth in person if you have this in your system, this bacteria in your system. And it was a birth I didn't really want, if I'm honest. So I was like, no, I'll just change it. It's fine. So we adjusted my diet, we had a look at all of that sort of stuff. And as part of this whole kind of holistic look at my well-being, we measured my heart rate every single morning. And on the mornings that I was due to go to the festival manager job, my heart rate was off the map. This is before you get out of bed, like before you even get out of bed. So you're waking up, you're coming to terms with waking up and your day and the light and all of the things. My body was like... (gasps) (laughs) And I didn't even know I was just in it. The cultural sector is so beautiful, buzzy, fast paced. I didn't know it was having this impact on my well-being where it was telling me there's stress. There's stress Mm. here. It's stressful. You're going into a stressful environment. You're going to work there all day. You're going to drink too much coffee. (laughs) Might have been deep. I don't know. I can't remember. But it was like, oh, okay. And it was one of those standing on the top of the cliff moments where I was like, I can change this. Bearing in mind, I'd worked my entire career to get to this job. This was my dream job. And although it was contract based, we were busy applying for funding for the next festival. I could have mapped out what my maternity leave would have looked like and then come back and directed a new festival, all that sort of stuff. I was like, I've got to leave. But I had to leave because I was pregnant like this was going to be my first baby I was going to be a mother and I knew very little about motherhood I knew very little about how it was going to shift and change my life but I knew that I needed to look after my well-being so that's the decision I made so made that decision carried on with the other two freelance contracts and then had this kind of maternity leave pause that was actually very short and I'll stop there otherwise it's just a monologue oh, she hadn't stopped you're leaving us on hooks. I want to know what happened next I want to know what happened with the birth I want to know everything but it's interesting that you're speaking about the whole kind of dream job vibe because likewise we started trying for children when I was 27 and I'd always had weird periods and then we went, oh, okay, got polycystic ovarian syndrome, various tests, various endoscopies and laparoscopies and all kind of things, scopies, and and then of some loss, and then eventually fell pregnant. Was desperately anxious in my first trimester, had so many early scans. I've always had bleeding in all of my pregnancies and all of my miscarriages. So there's no telling what's going on with my body until my most recent baby, when I had all the medication and all the support that I needed, because we knew that my body doesn't like having babies. Although I love being pregnant, I feel like such a goddess when I'm pregnant. I just mustn't have a fourth. <laughs> and so, was pregnant with this child. We didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. And I was working full time in my dream job as a director of music in a secondary school and singing professionally for some of the best groups in the world, some of the best sessions in the world. A film would come on, we go, oh, Laura's on that, or a track would come on at Christmas and we go, oh, that's Laura. Things were going brilliantly. And I absolutely believed that my daughter would just slot in. And I... I, I look back and I still can't quite believe how I thought that was true. I think because I am an optimist, I just thought this will just be fine. And spoilers alert, I did go back into the dream job knowing that I wanted to have a second quite quickly afterwards and was fortunate enough that that in that instance happened for us. 
but I was completely sure I'd be fine. I had an easy pregnancy. I was 29. I was strong. I was healthy. I was very active because I think you are when you're a secondary school teacher and just our lifestyle was cycling for a long time, swimming for a long time. And really when she was due at the end of the middle of July. So I went right through very close to the end of the academic year, did stop a bit early, obviously, and was just itching for her to come along. And it was her birth that was really the first time that showed me that she was going to be in charge. This birth, that it, the short version is it took four days. It started with incredible hypnobirthing. Also, I thought, I then when I had my son, realised that what I'd been doing was just poping and that was it. In this birth centre, thinking I'd be fine and ended up with me feeling really quite violated, absolutely exhausted and delivering her with a spinal block in theatre, episiotomy, all the works you can imagine and really damaging my coccyx for months, if not years. And so I started motherhood absolutely exhausted and expecting that I would just be able to function. For days, I didn't realise that my coccyx was damaged. I just thought, oh, it's just painful for everyone when they sit down. But I literally could not sit down properly for months. And it was this kind of physical realisation, my body shocking me and going, no, you can't, you are not just you anymore. You are you and her. And it was heartbreaking in some ways because I wasn't ready for that at all. And it was so exciting in other ways because it opened my eyes to, I could live a different way. I could be a different way. And I don't know how many of us feel this, but I'd always felt that the path that I'd chosen, whilst I really enjoyed it, there was always a bit of me going, yeah, but is that it? And that's not to do down the incredible profession of teaching. I loved my job, but there was always the itch that needed to be scratched. And she gave me the headspace to think that might be possible. She also very quickly made me realise that when I went back to work, she was six months, like you had a short maternity. I went back full time and I should say that was only possible because of the support that I have a childcare, my parents doing two days a week, my husband doing a day a week and an amazing childminder who treated her like her own. That's the only way we could make it work. And it was term time only. But going back, I very quickly realized that if it was a case of choosing between this very addictive work and choosing between her, my body was in a permanent state of fight or flight because the work was so addictive and so enjoyable and so much of parenting was boring and hard and wasn't giving me the quick results and wasn't giving me the dopamine. And for me to parent how I wanted to parent, I went, oh, I can't do this job and enjoy parenting the way I want to. I can still do the job really well, but I can't be the mum I want to be. And I found that really difficult because I so want to believe that it's possible. But my own very personal experience was that it absolutely wasn't going to work for me. And so when I then had my second and I mentioned him, even though I'm not going to talk about my third, because where I am today is so different. My second came along 17 and a half months later. The moment he was out, I was handing in my notice because it had to be different. And I had to 
scratch the itch of my own creativity, my own business dreams. I'd had the freelance ambition because I've been doing it since I was 21. I've been commuting into London and touring around the world and working with these amazing people. But I wanted it to be more than, as you say, that kind of freelance hamster wheel of now this, I wanted to create something that was mine and that could work with all the parts of me, me being mother and lover and housekeeper and friend and not feel like, I was apologizing for every part of that. And so that's really where my journey as a company of one, rather than a freelancer, began. Um, but it was definitely that first birth experience that really opened my eyes to, okay, things are different now. And yeah, and there's a lot more to say, but I want to return back to your story and say, and then what happened next? So you've gone on to these two contracts you're very pregnant. Leander's coming. What happens next? Yeah, so I, and I did this second time round as well. I applied for an Arts Council grant for an organisation that I was really enjoying working with, thinking if it comes good, then I'll do that. So I wrote that as a plan. Okay, when he's about three months old, that's great. I'll go and do, I'll go and do that. Just like, I'm laughing because it's just what was I thinking like I don't know like we don't we didn't have any family for childcare so it was literally me and my husband so we're both self-employed so it was that juggle but of course babies want the mum more than the dad like I don't mind saying that and actually recently the shift with Luna my daughter who's two and a half towards I want dad is beautiful but she's shifted that like she's ready for that there's something in early years development around this time that happens the beginning bit is all consuming I was breastfeeding as well so there's this thing where it's like an invisible string to them I think so that exists anyway and then my body was reminding me like if I was ever away from him that okay like he's hungry he wants feeding so that in itself was just that kind of rawness of motherhood and that really made me realize how much pressure we put on ourselves that is like about us and our careers but also that society says no snap back go back do the back things it's like that person doesn't exist anymore like I didn't realize it at the time in the early months but that person was gone I had to grieve who that person was because that person who was doing that director job that was the first sign that that person was gone but even in the here and now the arts council application that I'd written I was like oof and I didn't know how to ask for help like I've only learned that in the last year really I didn't know how to manage a team I just thought you just crack on and you just do it all yourself so I think that the first sort of few weeks and the early months and stuff like that, I was just running an endurance race. So people said things like, oh, three months and sleep regressions. And I was obsessively checking with the apps and the wonder weeks and the leaps. And it was just like baffling, baffling, because my son is neurodivergent and he doesn't sleep well. So he sleeps well now, but he didn't sleep well for three and a half years. And I'm talking until I I stopped feeding him when he was two and three months so two years three months and at that point he slept slightly better but I was still up and out of bed multiple times a night until he was over three so my body was just wrecked and that is like a younger body than I have now yeah 
but that experience of this is all consuming and you can't run away from it and you can't give it to anybody else it's yours that sort of transition of owning what a mother is and what I was to to my son because it's all quite unique isn't it in terms Mm. of relationship to your children was absolutely massive and I love what you say about what your children had to teach you like what they had to bring online in you and I think for me my son it was definitely about less Claire much much less do less care less you strive less just less it's less Mm. it's slower it's more mindful it's more about listening like really listening like when I was trying to bring him into environments like normal and inverted commas I'm doing the rabbit things normal (laughs) environments like parties and stuff like that and he was just shutting down and so upset yeah that was when I was like oh no like this is not the experience he's on the earth to have and actually maybe it's not the experience that I'm on the earth to have either and that's the lesson that's the lesson he taught me because I think I was overriding constantly because that's what the cultural sector expects less so now because there's more awareness around neurodivergence and things being slower paced slightly but I think that was the lesson and I think that in figuring out that balancey bit at the beginning I also figured out longer term who I am as a mother and Mm. who I am as a business owner and who I am as a creative and I'm still on that journey but that was the formative stuff. Our sponsors here at Company of Two. These mother-led small businesses supported our pilot episodes and the building of this community just for you. We are so, so grateful for their support. Please check out their businesses and follow them online by heading to our Substack, Company of Two, on Substack. You'll find all the direct links to their social media if they write a Substack and their Instagram to get to know them better. First up, Caroline Evans, bespoke parenting advice and support and early years practitioner. Caroline says, welcome to my parenting world. I love supporting families and sometimes other childcare professionals in their adventures with babies and children. And I feel so privileged to be invited to share brief moments of many children's lives through the support and guidance I offer. You are all experts of your own children, but parenting can be hard and we often no longer have the support networks in place that we would have many moons ago. So I invite you into my world to share with you my thoughts and insights on the challenges and the joys that you may face as you build relationships with these wonderfully precious little humans. Next up, Harani Arpea. Harani is an artist, writer and photographer from the Pacific Northwest. She specializes in fine art fantasy portraits and loves working with other creatives to bring a feeling of magic to life. Her debut novel is a dark fairy tale prequel co-authored with her elder sister. On Substack, Harini writes about her experiences with creativity, anxiety and motherhood, as well as sharing snippets of her own poetry and fiction writing. You can find a showcase of her photo shoots and behind the scenes details on her website or follow her on Instagram for more personal news and updates. so beautiful and that's made me really emotional because we had a very different experience with my daughter she was quite quickly a good sleeper she's she's a really she's always been quite independent but very loving child but 
six months when, and I can't believe this now looking at my son because I wouldn't be able to do this with my son, but maybe when she was about seven months old, there was one night a week. And I think I could only do this in a 30 year old's body. On a Monday morning, I would start my day by giving her a kiss goodbye. I would get to school. I would take the trebles, the boy trebles, who were incredible, singing with Sir Simon Rattle, singing with Gergiev. It's certainly not now, but that's another story with Russia. And I would take them. I would teach a full day. I would take the chamber choir, wolf down some food, then take my choral society and finish the day at 9.30. That Monday, I look back now and go, how did you do it? But you just do it, don't you? When it's, when it, especially when it's something cultural or creative and it's feeding you, you're getting like that constant endorphins from it. But anyway, because of that, on a Monday, my husband would teach and my parents would have my daughter. He would then go and stay at their house with her so that they had a parent there in case she woke up which obviously she sometimes still did. And he would stay with her and I wouldn't see her every Monday night. And there were definitely a few Mondays. And I can't even say it was great because I think even to myself, I didn't. I was conducting 60 singers. But there were definitely sometimes when there was a certain liberation to that. But very quickly, it just became not what I wanted. Now, she was fine. This is the part of the story to reassure she was in the loving arms of my parents and my husband. And that's what she needed then. And she got mummy and she was fine. But I definitely and this isn't I'm not recounting the story to make anyone feel any guilt. I'm just sharing my own feelings. I do remember one time when she actively chose my mum over me and me just thinking, oh, fuck, this is just this is not how I thought this would be. And I had to remove myself from the situation because objectively my daughter was very happy and she still loved me and we had lots of time together. But I remember saying to my husband, as soon as we have another child, this has to change because I can't, everyone is happy, but I'm not. That's not to say that I didn't love my work and it's not to say that I didn't love her or the life that we'd given her. But as soon as I had my son, it was almost like it was, okay, so now you get a chance to do this how you want to do it. And I don't regret any of what we did. We loved our life. She is amazing. But I wonder if I hadn't been lucky enough, and God knows it is so random and is such a miracle, the chances of keeping a baby. If my son, my first son hadn't stuck, I don't think I would have been able to continue the way I was. In fact, I know that he gave me, it was like, and his birth, oh my goodness, he was amazing. He was birthed in the water, the midwives put on the radio, and it was a track by a musician called Eric Whitaker. He wrote a song that I have, a choral piece that I have sung with Eric called Water Night. And it's all about the beauty of the calm, still night. He was born at night in the water and he just appeared and looked at me as if to say, this is all fine you are absolutely brilliant mum and you are an amazing mum and that's how I felt when I birthed him I remember going I am woman and I am earth and this is him and it was like he gave me permission to go okay you can just put that down now Laura and that doesn't mean that your ambition and your fire and your energy don't matter doesn't mean that you don't matter but it's okay 
it's all right. Nobody's going to tell you off if you're not being this like productive demon. You're fine. And so he was the one that really birthed my, as I said earlier, birthed my company of one. But he really also gave me the chance to be the mother that I'm so confident in being. I love the mother who I am. She gets it wrong a lot, but she's able to get her kids and say, I'm sorry, I'm learning as well, but I'm just doing it in a way that is instinctive and the trust that I have in myself now compared to the trust that I had you mentioned those apps my god they're going is she an elite now and is she displaying any of the following signs and just look at the child how is she I've changed so much and I wish that somebody had said just give yourself some more space because you're both learning and you're learning with your partner the thing is would I have listened I doubt it I don't think I would have listened. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You can't hear it until you're in it. I just had a little cry listening to your birth story because it was so beautiful. And why it was so beautiful is because what a contrast, what a reclaiming of self, like what a, a beautiful thing to be able to do. Mm, and in so it, like, quite a short time space yeah. as well, just like incredible to hear that yeah I just have to have a moment about <laughs> about that but I will I'll circle back and share my son's birth story because I think that uh, it's relatively short and I'll have to leave my daughters for a full episode probably but it's relatively short and I think that it is insightful into the decisions that you make and that's what this episode is about it's about mm. being really graceful around accepting that it's really bloody hard becoming a mum Sarah Schatz. Sarah Schatz is a writer and interdisciplinary artist. Their work explores the intersection of creativity and neurodivergence. Sarah is author of Discover Your Creative Ecosystem, a holistic approach to developing your creative practice. Emily Charlotte Powell. Emily is an accountant by day, counting beans and crunching numbers for fellow creatives and an illustrator by night, creating quirky and whimsical artwork to bring words and ideas to light brighten your day and make you smile. She writes while I was drawing on Substack, sharing stories about the things she's lived and loved and learned as an illustrator, an accountant, mum, wife, daughter, friend, and all the roles we play in our lives. Hannah Harvey at Mum's Days. Hannah is an award-winning parenting blogger over at Mum's Days and hosts a podcast called Happily Ever After that covers everything from divorce and heartbreak to motherhood and identity. To join the community, head to mumsdays.com. That's M-U-M-S-D-A-Y-S.com.
there's an identity there that is wrapped up in what society tells us about mothers. Maybe our own mothers and grandmothers, maybe not, but it's just an amalgamation of things that are very abstract until you're in it and you're listening to yourself and you're getting things wrong and you're questioning everything. I know me and my husband have a lot of chats because my mum and his mum are very different. His mum's passed away now, but he, I met her, so I knew essence of mother that was Jean Venus and she was incredible, very family orientated housewife. But the expectation my husband had on what a mother is because of that is huge, huge. Yep. And I can't live up to it. I don't even try to. I'm well, I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but it's just different, isn't it? Yeah. So being in that space, and I should say as well, like we were only a year into our relationship. So I fell pregnant when we'd been together three months. So it was- Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Yeah, three months together and Dave was going through a divorce. So it was literally like, a wild soap opera it's fine <laughs> I'm, I, I just can own all of that now it's, it's fine. all a chapter for the story of exactly you. fine yeah and yes group strep b circling back to that and actually if you don't test positive for group strep b then you can have any sort of birth you want and i wanted to have a water birth i'd watched some birthing videos beautiful american sort of youtube ones where it was just <laughs> loads of love and oxytocin and like beautiful environments and people bringing the mum things that was like oh yeah i'll have that sort of experience I didn't do any pregnancy yoga but I did have a very strong yoga practice and I had yoga teachers that were very intuitive around me and baby together as one so that was really empowering I didn't do any breath work anything around what will work and what won't work for the kind of the labor part of it but I did have my strong yoga practice as a foundation and I honestly felt maybe naive that was enough And it was enough because Dave was there. Dave was my coach, my cheerleader. We had a beautiful midwife called Cheryl who stayed longer than our shift. And I know we've all got these like incredible stories of midwives, aren't they? Just like absolute angels sent from heaven. But she was amazing. And every time she came in the room, she was like, you guys are so calm. Like I had my playlist. So the soundtrack was just on repeat. And I had questions around like, how much am I dilated now? But for the most part, I was just like holding Dave's hand, listening to my music, just like in the zone. And actually, now I learned and I did learn a little bit more about birth. The only bit that was difficult for me was that bit where, and I think it's described something like the gates of terror or something in some birthing books, but there's this bit. Transition. Yeah, the transition where you're wide open to the universe. You're the widest in terms of like how much your cervix is dilated. And (laughs) you go, I can't do it. I can't do it. Give me all the drugs. Let me out. I don't want to do it. But it's a thing, right? But yeah, yeah. at the time, I didn't know it was a thing. I hadn't researched birth enough, really. So that was the moment where I was like, I can't. And I remember this tiny, almost inaudible, I can't coming out. Oh. And hearing that and being like, oh, God, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be okay? And then yeah. very quickly after that, he was born. And it was incredibly beautiful. Me and my husband were like desperately in love with each other. We were desperately in love with this tiny little being. And it was like, okay, let's start the fairy tale. That's fine. And then what came next with this huge baptism of fire? Honestly, just what we had to deal with as a couple in that time was just so intense. Like we just the grief and the loss and the divorce and the not enjoying where we were living and my work being a bit unstable. And he Mm -hmm. gave up a really well paid job to be a dad because he worked away and we were like, we don't want that. Like we literally threw everything away and rebuilt it from scratch. And Mm -hmm. that saw us move to Northumberland when my son was 16 months old. 
and start this whole new life here by the coast, which felt like a huge leap and a questionable one. So a lot of people that we plugged into in terms of like friendships and work connects and all of that sort of space in the city were like, what on earth are you doing? You've lost it. You've gone bonkers. This is not okay. Like you're running away. What are you going to do for work? How's it all going to be? You're not going to have anybody around you. But we did it anyway. And we love our lives. And yes, it was difficult. And yes, there have been challenges. And yes, we built a house extension and still lived in the house at the same time. (laughs) But what an adventure. What an adventure. And Leander came along with us in all of that. And then a few years later, pregnant with my pandemic baby which we'll talk about another time but yeah yeah, I think in terms of what space was made around that birthing experience and that kind of early quest I'm going to call it into motherhood for the other stuff the business stuff the being stuff the balance stuff really set the tone for you can do this if you want to but you're gonna burn out like it was obvious you can't win that endurance test if you are in an endurance test a marathon or anything any feat of kind of fitness or anything that feels difficult you can only do that for so long like the human Mm. body is not meant to be in an endurance test whether that's a success metric that's designed around career and linear progression or a marathon that goes into a sort of multi-marathon and I'm obviously people can do marathons I don't mean it like that I just mean endurance tests are not the one yeah yeah totally and I think when we both of us reflect on that whole sense of being yeah we've discussed how things were shattered and things were rebuilt but it's also worth saying that it's never the end so wherever you're listening wherever you're at right now and you're listening wherever it feels like you are at this point in this path that you're going down it's never the end there's always something coming there can always be change made there's evolution and growth and that is sometimes really difficult and it's sometimes really unsettling and it sometimes takes us away for me it certainly took me away from the ego in its most pure sense of what I thought I was and has not changed my core but has changed how I choose to live my life and what that looks like and a beautiful result of that has been the company of one that I am now. But if you're listening and you don't feel anywhere close to articulating anything like that, I was there, you were there. Some days I still am there. It is not a destination that we're getting to. It is an exploration. And it's one that we both have learned and built with confidence and experience, I would say. And that's probably why it's only now nine years down the line that we feel ready to have these conversations. That's so true. Like, I think that's nearly 10 years of experiencing because pregnancy, I think, gives you some of that, especially if you're unwell, like I was unwell with morning sickness. I did try and hide the fact that I was pregnant for the sort of 12, 14 weeks at work. So I think that 10 year of is it this? Is it that? Can this work? Should it be this? Shall I say yes to this? Shall I put that down? Like all of that space like is up for grabs, isn't it? It'll feel different. And I said this to a client just last week who's in like the earliest years. So like 18 months in, I was like, honestly, this bit for me, especially second time round was very, it is very much about acceptance. I can do this much But when she gets to be three, I can do this much. And I know that about myself. I presume that about myself. But the early years, the kind of years until the kind of in 
more full-time childcare and more settled and they've gone through all the kind of nervous system adjusts and the viral <laughs> bugs and stuff that all come <laughs> home and you dealt with all. it's so intense it's so intense oh, and it's is. intense for us you know some mornings I have had a little cry when I've dropped her off at nursery for no other reason than it's like it's part relief and part sadness. There is yep. that. There's both. I'm like relieved because, okay, I'll go and do my things that I need to do. But then I am sad because she mm. was sad. She takes a little bit to transition sometimes. And both of those things can exist at the same time. And that, I think, is the real balance second time around for me. I completely agree. I had the same today with my baby. Yes, he's gone for a few hours. And this being balance and business is a conversation that we really want to have with you. It is a conversation that is going on in such an exciting and vibrant way over on our Substack company of two. For those of you who don't know what Substack is, it started out as a platform for writers, but ultimately I just see it as a really cool place to go and hang out on the internet. The conversations that I've had over there have been so honest so helpful and in no way pressured I don't feel like I have to be anything other than myself and equally I don't feel like I have to go and show off I can dip in and out as much as I like and that's what we would love you to do we're showing up there every Sunday and we would love you to be part of the conversation so please do like this episode but go over and subscribe to our Substack. we would love you to be part of the conversation and on that note around childcare and how we feel about dropping them off, I think both of us have got to go and relieve our childcare now. Yeah, Seems that's like in the day, isn't it? Yeah. Beautiful place to stop. I think both of us as well might have a big cry later on recounting those birth experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you very soon. Lots of love, Claire. Bye-bye. See you soon, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Company of Two. We'd love you to subscribe and also follow the project. You can join the community over on Substack. It's completely free and we publish new content every single Sunday. If this podcast episode has served you in any way, feel free to share it and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our gentle celebration of being, balance and business in motherhood. Head to the show notes to click through all of our links from today's episode. We'll see you next time or over on Substack. With all our love, Laura and Claire.